Welcome, friends, to random number 119. That's right. I'm Ox. That's Luke. And this week we're talking uh, the latest episode of Titans. Uh, we get more Deathstroke. Um, for the best and worst list, all we had this week was Godfather Part 1. Um, for the spooks, we got Into the Tall Grass on Netflix, The Shining, and The Exorcist. And then theatrically, we saw The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. And you get everything watched this week, Luke? Yes, sir. Fantastic. Any news before we jump into all of that? No. Good deal. Uh, so what did you think of Titans this week? Uh, some stuff happened, I think. I don't remember. <laughs> there's, some death, <laughs> there's some Deathstroke stuff, right? Uh, yeah, there's some Todd's hanging out uh, on scaffolding, I believe. Oh, yeah, and then fucking goddamn Deathstroke's just like, oh, hey, what's up, uh, Professor Light? I'm going to shoot you in the face. (laughs) So disappointing, even after Jason kicks his ass a second time. (laughs) Yeah. but With literally his hands tied behind his back. It shows you that, you know, Dr. Light is a big old baby. He's all like, no, I need to go listen to metal in my car and get in touch with listen, my feelings. Oh, I'm shot in the face. Listen, I have a real problem with the show with them classifying Nickelback as heavy metal. <laughs> uh, other than that, Corey joins up with the team again. Uh, I believe they're, they show us a little bit more of what happened in the past, but haven't quite said it. Uh, I'm sure next week we're going to learn that they uh, used his boy as bait. But, yeah, this week's just a, just a handful. Um, Raven looks to be getting more powerful, but can't control it at all at this point. Uh, oh, what gave you that point? When she accidentally killed Rose? Uh, yeah, and then Rose reconstructs herself in the weirdest of ways. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, you see her get smashed against the wall kind of off screen and like they they look at her and she's like oh she's just been thrown against the wall and like at this point she's gone through two or three people and like you shouldn't be that worried about this person and like everybody comes in and is like oh my god you definitely killed this person and she's like I can't control it and runs off and then she like Every piece of her like twitches broken and then reconstructed. I don't know. It's like this is why we're not getting beast transformations. This is bullshit. And then we get a beast transformation <laughs> of him just hanging out as a tiger. <laughs> but I mean, it's same. It's it's much more of uh, the things we've been getting at this point. Um, I just think it. Just rocking, firing on all cylinders, whatnot. Yep, just give me more Deathstroke. I'm assuming, like, because Rose can do that, that's why Deathstroke wants her back or something. I don't know. We'll see. But come on, Deathstroke's fucking badass. Even though his mask looks kind of goofy in the show. A lot of Deathstroke looks really goofy in this show compared to everybody else. Um... But when he takes on Corey and Dick and essentially one-ups them. Um, 
I'm sure yeah. uh, Jason's going to get saved by Superboy. Whatever. He's in the thumbnail for the next episode. I was like, well, that kind of ruins that. <laughs> well, it's either that or I could see it being like the first time Corey flies. Like she could jump out the window after him. Ooh. See, you know, that'd be badass. Um, I also figured maybe it was uh, like Raven uh, catches it down to the ground just for the hell of it and just be like completely off the wall considering Dick told her to stay back with the other two. It's like, it's whatever. So, uh, yeah, still good shit. Still check it out if you haven't at this point. So, Oh, and also you have fucking uh, Dove being like, listen, when we're done with this, you shut this shit down or I'm going to take you out, Dick Grayson. I'm like, yeah, you fucking tell him, Don. Uh, she said she was going to build burn the building down, which if it's a Bruce Wayne building, I'm pretty sure they have safety features for that. <laughs> you would think, but I don't know. She's probably going to, like, Wayne Manor burned down in Batman Begins. Yeah, but I mean, that's why they would implement these uh, strategies in the future. Especially in San we'll Francisco. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, still loving it. So, from there, uh, let's talk Godfather then. And I'm sure this wasn't your first time, was it? Uh, no, I've seen it before, but it's been a long time. Nice. Uh, how'd you... Was this your first time? This was my first time. Oh my, I'm... Oh, oh. Son, son, how did you take The Godfather? Uh, I really liked it. I, I was, um... It took me probably 20 minutes to realize uh, Pacino was the young kid. Because, fuck, it's, what, 50 years uh, from now? <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, he looks so young. Yeah. Everyone does, though. Yeah, they do. Know, like, fucking... Oh, man. But it's so good. Uh, uh, I guess this is the one that uh, Brando is, like, uh, known for. I'm sure the second one has a lot more of it, but um, besides the ludicrous almost death, um, everything else was pretty fucking great. Um, you see how it's playing out uh, beforehand, like when Pacino kind of grabs the reins and like realizes what needs to be done when his brother gets killed and shit. Um, we don't get to find out or we don't get any closure for his wife being murdered. Um, but like he comes back to the States and was like, Hey, I'm going to just pick up where we left off that one time and everything's fine with that. But, um, yeah, but yeah, I described it. Uh, cause I was talking to my buddy who's a huge Godfather fan. And I was like, you know, I haven't seen, he's like, I really want to talk about it. This is a couple months ago. I was like, I'm watching it soon coming up, but I haven't seen it forever. And I'll talk to you afterwards. And I was just like, it's what I love about this movie is it is straight up just like pulpy trash at its core. But you just have like the best actors just fucking acting the shit out of everything in it. Cause in the end, it's just this really, simple you know like mafia story about you know deals gone bad and then all these hits out on each other and it's you know just sensationalism but 
you just have like Brando and Pacino and fucking Duvall just like killing everything. I love that. Um, so like this is the the infamous head in the, uh, horse head in the in the bed scene, and like that probably caught me off guard the most because it felt like it was supposed to be a bigger thing. Um, but he just went to fucking California and was like, oh, you don't want to make this deal? That's fine. I'm getting on a fucking bus and, or a plane and heading back because he wants to hear this bad news immediately. Uh, wakes up in his fucking half million dollar horse head is laying at his feet in his bed and like just something unsettling about that in the purest form but also you realize this was early 70s where like half a million dollars would be like multi-million dollars at this point um and like just to have somebody like you think back to thoroughbreds and everything that took it for that one girl to cut the head off and it's like the other guy just did it no problem just flew on a plane back back to uh, New York. <laughs> so, yeah, there's just there's so much good stuff in this movie. Like, there's you know, there's that. There's fucking uh, Sonny beating the shit out of his brother-in-law in the street. Like, that's just such a great. Oh my god, I love everything about James Con in that scene. Like when when the brother-in-law is like grabbing at the thing and he just starts biting his fucking fingers and throwing trash at him. It's just like. Oh. I love everything about this terribly staged fight. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> the horrible trap he just falls into and he's just shot a million times. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's oh. very evident. And he knows he's going to die. He's like, well, shit. And then, like, two minutes later, when everybody stops shooting. <laughs> it's just like... They open fire straight through the windshield with Tommy guns. He's like, oh, I'm getting shot. Uh-huh. I'm going to climb out of the car and keep getting shot. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, but even uh, Marlo, or Marlon Brando fucking getting shot five times and just, like, falling to the ground so, quote-unquote, helplessly. And they're like, uh, well, they didn't mention he was dead, so I got to go be with my father, I suppose. Um, but when he like decides he has to kill the guys straight up, um, such a good scene. And like, did oh, they... God. the way Pacino just plays everything on his face in that scene, dude. Oh, it's so good. Um, were the clippings from the real actual murders that were in the movie? Oh, I I don't know. Maybe I assume they'd have to be. But like, then he goes off to Italy and just has this whole other life and like. When that ends, he's like, fucks off back to America and just fucking takes control of his whole family and, like, and just fucking murders everyone. Yeah. It's like, it's like that scene because, you know, you recently watched it. Uh, it's like that scene when Walt has all those people in prison killed and breaking yeah. bad. It's like that. Just all of a sudden, all the dominoes fall and he just kills everybody. Yeah, it's really wild to see uh, how this family was set up to succeed and uh, the Don was like, I don't want to run drugs. Uh, so, like, everybody else is like, well, that's where all the money is, so let's kind of target them and, like, they still find a way to get from, out from under it and then uh, go 
legitimate, I guess, with uh, casinos in Vegas. I guess that's how the movie ends. But, like, yeah, it's so damn good. So damn good. Um, Yeah, it really is. And, like, it's, like, I get that it's a three-hour movie, but I'd say the same thing, like, we were talking about when we talked about uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Like, there's no fat on this movie. Like, everything serves a purpose, and it's so lean, even though it is three hours long. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Because uh, everything that's utilized to either build up a character or move along the plot, like, everything is just so useful. Um, Even, like, Frito getting shipped off to Las Vegas sets them up for the opportunity to go with the casino later. Like... All the chips are played on the table, and it's so good. So, if you haven't checked yeah. it out, highly, highly recommended, um, for sure. Um, that compared to like the flops we've seen this year with like the kitchen and like how it's kind of set up well, but like pales in comparison to the the execution that was in this film, for sure. Um, I don't. I think I'm going to hold judgment till next week and see The Godfather 2, but I really... I think I enjoy Goodfellas a little bit more right now, just because it was... I guess I kind of expected this story where Goodfellas was, like, surprised when he went into police protection and, like, kind of flopped on the whole family. Um, Yeah, plus, like, Goodfellas is straight like a sugar rush. That's all about mm. you know until the shit comes down at like the last fourth of that movie. It's all about like look at how awesome we are doing crimes and how much fun it is. But I mean, even that, even when they were in prison, they're like, "Well, we'll get out sometimes. So let's have some, let's have some, some, some spaghetti, some gabagool, and let's just have a good time." Um, I think it would be interesting to see if they were in, pri- in prison for this family, but. Uh, they were just too good for that. So, um, so good, so fucking good. So jumping from there, let's talk spooks, and let's start with Into the Tall Grass, uh, because we need because it's such a pile of shit. So much Stephen King. See, and like, I have such problems with Stephen King's adaptations, and I know we've covered this, but like. It feels like the gap is widening so much more where, like, maybe last year it would have been, like, 25% of adaptations were good. Like, it feels like maybe 10% now. Um, Because the concept's good and strong. It's just everything kind of falls apart when you're relying on these character actors. Um, Also, some of it doesn't make sense and, like, it, it falls on its own rules. Um, like we start off in the kids touching the rock, uh, and then we don't ever see him touch the rock and he escapes without ever being possessed. And yeah, well, it's one of those, like, it's the problem that they take a very short story and decide, let's make a two hour movie out of it. And then none of it works because they're just taking this concept and trying to stretch it out. So, like, I looked in, like, because I haven't read it. It's one of his newer 
novellas or short stories, whatever you call it. He wrote it with his kid. Uh, so I looked into it and literally the story is like the brother and sister go into the woods after the kid. Uh, the dad like attacks him and the girl dies and then some more people pull along and they get pulled into and it ends like all this shit about like <laughs> displaced time and uh the fates folding in on each other and all possible outcomes happening all eventualities are there present at all times that's all made up for the movie so it trips over its own logic that it is trying to throw out there just to be able to make this movie be two hours long. Hmm. Uh, it also, like, <laughs> at the point where she's killed and the baby's taken, whatever, um, he's al- Listen, he's already seen her dead. Like, why not just go walk around in the cornfield for 20 minutes and get her back again? Like, Yeah, and let's let's be clear here. The baby wasn't taken. He fed it to her. Yeah, that was a little unnerving. Like, it it was not clear if it was the baby or, like, it was just the placenta, like, she was eating. But, like, it was all just too weird at that point. <laughs> and, like... It really was. Like, it's just, like... Like you said, there's no consistency. There's no stakes when, like... You know, like that just can keep going on and on and on and keep. It's like they're stuck in this loop, which makes none of it have any tension because you're like, they're in a loop. It's just going to happen again and again. And we just keep going on. There's no stakes. And it also happens like once they get into that loop, like I don't care about any of these characters because like they don't really have any, um, anything worth redeeming themselves about. And, like, fucking Night Owl oh, shows up with that goddamn you? mustache. I was like, he's the bad guy. He's definitely the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, but he does, so, he does so good at it. He definitely did. <laughs> uh, but I do have to ask you uh, about what uh, the trend in, seems in pop culture lately that you're such a fan of, and that would be uh, incest. Because <laughs> that plays a rage done with it. Like, I didn't catch it until halfway through. I was like, I don't like where this is going. Like, why are we doing this? Stop it. Like, let's just cut that out of pop culture right now. God damn it. Uh, yeah, I started like, I was like, he seems like overly protective. And then like, when the boyfriend shows up, he's like, you just want to fuck your sister. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Noah's going to hate this. And he did. Um, so yeah, avoid that. It's a it's a real mess. Um, let's talk about some good horror though. And uh, this is my first time seeing The Shining. I'm sure you've seen it a, a handful of times. Yes, and it's one of those movies that like I always forget about how great it is until I watch it again. I'm like, fuck, this movie's amazing. Uh, I was so I don't know how to feel about it. Like, I know it's really great, and, like, I love the writing of it, and, like, it nails that eerie tone, but it also feels like this isn't a Stephen King book, because, like, somebody took that concept and ran with it hard, um, and just made this damn thing, um, 
didn't get me as much as I thought it would. Like, I've always avoided this movie because of, like, the the eerie shit we see in pop culture with the two daughters showing up out of nowhere and, like, the ball bouncing, the bloody room, and, like, the zombie lady. Like, the shit they showed us in Ready Player One, I was like, if there's more to this movie than that, I don't ever want that in my head. But, like, it was just that. And it was not all that scary, but, like, it nails that tone. Like, Terror nailed it, and, like, a few other ones. But, like, this one just grabbed on and it held on to it the entire way. Um, Because, like, it just, it has this sense that something's wrong at all times. There's just this disquiet and this uncertain dread to everything. Yeah, I mean, they, they um, start the movie off and the, the uh, hotel manager's like, Haha, uh, by the way, a family killed itself uh, like 30 years, or like 10 years ago, whatever. Um, so don't do that. We'll see you in in five months. <laughs> it's also really cool that like we saw Nicholson not too long ago. One flew over the the cuckoo's nest, and like he just plays the hell out of this role. Um, doesn't have much to say, but his expressions say so much more than he actually could. Um, just because he's got that face that just molds well. Um, but the whole shining with the uh, chef and the kid, like, so weird. Because it seems like the parents have a little of it um, near the end. Like, especially when the mom witnesses the blood corridor or something like that. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie. And plus, the fucking dog scene. The dog and guy scene. No fucking idea. Just out of left field for no reason whatsoever. Um, but yeah, and that shit, that's what, like the shining is something that like I've lived with for a long time. <laughs> um, I, uh, one of my, <laughs> as weird as it is, uh, do you remember the, uh, the, the hit movie Twister? <laughs> I do indeed. Where, uh, where that the F five rips or the F four, I guess maybe whatever it was, rips through the drive through parking lot, and it's the, they're playing The Shining in the background of that scene, and so like there was those images that I saw in Twister when I was super young that like just you know it showed like Jack breaking down the door with the axe and the twins and stuff, and I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, and I remember like seeing it on TV and like way too young to even like understand what that scene was but just knowing that it creeped me the fuck out <laughs> and then you grew up and you're like oh it's just a dude in a dog suit blowing a guy but still super unnerving yeah i mean think back to the 80s how how out of the fucking world of possibilities that would have been um and even now i don't think any like, if you're trying to be a respected filmmaker, there's no way you put that scene in that. But fucking Kubrick not giving a fuck, he's like, that one's in there, for sure. 100%. <laughs> and, like, I've seen uh, the things where, like, um, Stephen King, like, did not, or just hates this film so much because it's 
I don't know if it's so far off from the original. Did you ever read the actual book? Yeah, I've read the book. So it does it compare to this movie, or like, are they two different beasts? The the bones are there. Okay. Um, I think the the biggest problem that King had with it was that he felt uh, there's not this slow descent into madness that Jack Nicholson's just insane from the first moment you see him. Um, so he just says you don't buy like the turn. Uh, but I think what Kubrick's doing with the film is different than what. Uh, Stephen King yeah. was, uh, I because like, okay, so we can talk about both. I have a couple reasons why I paired these movies together this week. Uh, the first would be, you know, like you said, we'll start with Kubrick. You know, it's it's studios, big movie studios, giving these acclaimed directors freedom to do these horror adaptations. Both are adapted from books. You know, William Friedkin had just won an Oscar before he went on to do The Exorcist. Kubrick, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, went on to do this. You know, it's just like that. Um, But also in both films, there's this idea that until a certain point in the film where the supernatural is undeniable, you could see this being just in their heads. Mm -hmm. Like, until you get that quick beat. Um, You know, like in the book... Uh, basically the hotel like tempts Jack and he's going to kill Danny but like he ends up like fighting off and the hotel ends up taking over him completely mm-hmm. you know it's now it's it's a monster wearing Jack whereas in the movie you can just buy that this is literally just an abusive man in this terrible familiar relationship that this whole family stuck in and him finally breaking. Yeah. Because, like, outside of, you know, it's like, there's so much going on in this film, but, <laughs> excuse me, every time you see Jack interacting with the bartender or the woman in 237 or whatever, he's always facing a mirror. Mm-hmm. He's, it's, he's, he's talking to himself is what he's doing. Huh. I'll be damned. Yeah, I completely missed that part. Um, I was just more fascinated. And the only like, time, the, those... the only time, like he's not in front of a mirror, is when he's locked inside the storage room where you you don't see him, right? You don't see Grady. He's outside the hall. You know, in two three seven, there's the bathroom mirror in front of the bar. It's a mirror behind it. Uh, in the bathroom, when he talks to Grady, there's mirrors. It's just Jack until you reach that point of like, you know. Uh, Wendy sees it and Danny actually and even that you know just like Jack says Danny could have done that to himself yeah you have no reason to believe that you know Danny didn't overhear the story about the little girls being murdered so he's thinking about that you know at no point until like shit gets fully supernatural and like (laughs) the only unexplainable part is that Jack was locked in there and he gets out like he should have been able to Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but. like that part alone, like, <laughs> I don't think we're giving enough credit to uh, the lead female. I can't think of her name, but like uh, the... Shelly Duvall. Okay, the uh, 
sternness to take him down and fucking drag him into the goddamn freezer by himself. Like, at some point, you fucking lock or uh, you just run the fuck away from him. And uh, she didn't. She had the wherewithal to, to see it through. And then the hotel comes back for her um, by letting him out <laughs> and shit. But um, Yeah, and, like, I love the the way Kubrick inverts horror expectations. Like, at no point for most of it are you... It's not quick jump scares or anything like that. Like, the scene where, you know, like, such a fucking unnerving scene when she is uh, looking for Jack and she walks into the great room where he's been writing and you just see his fucking insane manuscript where he's just been writing the same thing over and over and over uh you know any movie you know if it had been filmed now would it would have been a jump scare of jack walking out behind her but he moves the camera around the column so you understand jack's in the room and then lets him walk in there's no like the sense of dread is more palpable than just him getting a jump scare out of you Mm -hmm. and like in the same with like when you know, like when Danny's playing darts when they first get there and he turns around and it just shit stays on his face mm. and you see his reaction before cutting to the twins. Yeah, and, and not to mention that kid for being so young did such a great job with this whole bit. Um, granted, he was just like, I'm sure they just put the camera on. I was like, look scared out of your fucking mind and he nails it. <laughs> but like, um, I'm so... This has me excited for uh, Dr. Sleep, but also I think that's going to be a much scarier film than this is. Um, Just for, it's going to lean into the supernatural shit, where, like, this one just lets you be in the moment with it. And, like, didn't necessarily scare you, but you knew something was a wrong, was a miss. So. Yeah, I mean, come on, like, (laughs) you know, there's you you see fucking Wendy and Danny out playing in the snow. It's fine. And it just cuts to Jack. And he's just staring <laughs> on blinking out. And he's has that fucking slack job. Like you just, something is wrong with everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and I think it extends like everything in this film. Like that's why, you know, it's so impeccably made. But like the, the sound design and the mute, like the music is not a score. It's just like, discordant sounds that get under your skin and just like unnerve you um the use of you know this is one of the first i want to say like 10 movies that shot on steadicam because it had just been invented so like the way it glides around the hotel and you get this unease to the way everything moves plus what i love is how tonally he takes you know almost everything is antithetical to the way most horror shot which is up close mm-hmm. right so that something off frame is what gets you on nerves if you stay close on someone's face you can't see what's around them so you're ready for something and then when it jumps out it's the way you build and release tension in these movies mm-hmm. but he films everything fucking super wide mm-hmm. so not only do you see everything but you get this feeling of how small these people are and how it's completely empty there so when something does happen, it's unsettling because you, you know, you spend so much of that first like 20 minutes when they're in the hotel, just 
seeing them alone, Jack throwing the ball, Danny riding around, you know it's empty. So when he comes around the corner and those two girls are there, you know something's wrong. Uh, it's also super impressive just the thinking, like, how impeccably shot this movie is. Like, the scenes where they're going upstairs and, like, it's staying on them but going backward. Like, I've seen pictures of the uh, behind the scenes where – like this guy has this giant fucking camera on his shoulder walking up this fucking stairs uh, in front of Jack. And like, that she just blows my mind um, how all this was done. Um, also, an axe murder out of no fucking where. Uh, just shocked the shit out of me. He was like, all right, now we're getting to, into the meat and potatoes of the last 10 minutes of the movie. But um, yeah. Just so fucking good. Um, yeah, there's so much. Like, I mean, like, it's so much of it's so good. Like, the idea that, like, <laughs> you know, like they. I mean, it's shitty, but like they purposefully like tortured these people to get this this out of them. Like, like they said something. Like, I want to say, I don't remember what scene it was. But there's one scene where they did at least 120 takes. And so, like, by the time they're getting into the 40th, 50th take, they're doing weird shit. (laughs) And, like, that's... And, like, that's the takes they use in the film. Like, you know, everything about Nicholson's performance is, like, off. Like, he just seems, like, weird and broken. And, and, like, it's just getting them to that point. Um, I mean... Some of these tales could be apocryphal, who knows? But like they said that Jack Nicholson hates cheese sandwiches, so that's all they fed him for like three <laughs> weeks straight. Just to antagonize him and get him in that mood of hating everybody. Oh man, you can you you can taste it in the movie just how aggravated he is at the surrounding world. Um and me and you both know the uh idea of being a writer, like uh, <laughs> How great would it be just to escape the world for five months and just be able to write and then just not be able to write anything? Like, that's real shit. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. But yeah, you know, and like, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, you can. Like, there are so many nutso fucking theories about this movie and like deep dives and shit. It's just insane. The kind of cult that lives around it you get you know like there's innocuous stuff that like stuff of like this is this didn't really happen it's the story that jack was writing like you know that's pretty innocuous and whatever but then you get shit shit about like this is stanley kubrick's uh admission that he faked the moon landing all all this stuff is coded to prove to you that he was part of the cover-up and just nuts how people are obsessed with this film yeah that's that's crazy for sure um i think i knew that one because of the apollo 11 shirt or sweater that the kid's wearing um yeah and then there's shit like it's room 237 and the moon is 237,000 <laughs> miles away and all these fucking ridiculous coincidences but um I want to say Kubrick had a uh, final say over everything for the movie, didn't he? Like, even down to, like, the movie posters and shit like that? Uh, Kubrick had... He was just one of those guys that, like, I don't understand why 
people make movies with him. <laughs> uh, it's shit like, um, like this movie was supposed like, uh, I want to say it was Temple of Doom, maybe was supposed to film in the studio where this was being shot, but it had to get pushed back because this movie was supposed to shoot in like five months and it took over a year to film. Damn. Like just, he just, he just kept going. It's just like, and again, like you said, doing that many takes of everything, you know, it's just nuts. And like, it's going to take time and perfection. It's like that scene where Jack's uh, throwing the ball at the wall and it's coming at the camera. <laughs> like, they filmed that. It took like they said it took like fifty people to finally get that hit right. Damn, that's fucking crazy. I appreciate this movie so much more now, too. But there's also nuts, nuts of shit where like the like the original trailer for the movie was just the elevator scene, like the blood opening and coming up over the camera, <laughs> uh, and like so you weren't like you're not allowed to show blood in trailers, so. Kubrick convinced them that it was just rusty water. It was just red colored rusty water coming out of the elevator. It's nothing evil. Just like he's just he's such a bullshit artist. I loved it. That's even better. Like, man, I've been digging into this lore of this shit because like that's fascinating to me. Oh, it's so good. It's so- and like before we move on, like my favorite story, I think, is that uh they literally had to use reinforced doors because Jack Nicholson was a volunteer firefighter and he was breaking them down <laughs> with the act too easy. That's fucking awesome. Uh, so good. Um, I loved starting out this movie. I was like, wait, they're in this fucking hotel for five months? What the hell are they going to eat? And then they just answered that. And they're like, we have fucking stock rooms and shit. So you're fine for five months. Do this thing. You, like, you could eat what they say he says something like you could eat out of here every meal for a year and never have the same thing twice mm-hmm. it's like jesus <laughs> christ so good so uh check out that movie uh even coming from a bona fide scaredy cat not that scary of a movie but like that sense of dread is so thick in this movie um yeah and like you said it's it's not scary in terms of like boo it's scary but like it's terrifying in the idea that it's a, a movie about a man who wants to hurt his family is what it breaks down to. So good. Uh, so jumping from there to another great one uh, with The Exorcist. Uh, I believe this one was came out in 73, right? I believe so, yeah. So we're talking the same year as Godfather, pretty much. Um, seems very similar. Uh, they look very old and dark whatever but like man Uh, this fucking movie just to step off that real quick uh when you mentioned this came out the same year as godfather the shining in the original friday the 13th came out within two months of each other i think (laughs) to show you like how different sensibilities were back then damn anyway yeah the exorcist again like i said why thematically I tied these together. You know, William Friedkin coming off and just being like, yeah, let's adapt this movie. And until, again, you get to straight up supernatural, you can't get away from it parts near the back half of the movie, it could be real. This could be the story of uh, the the pressures of a mother falling onto a daughter and her lashing out ways to get attention. 
it's you know the ideal of faith and what do we believe in psychology versus superstition you know it's just these real real world problems until you know like head starts spinning and shit (laughs) (laughs) um what's so great about this now um you were just talking about kubrick and how he had control of all this stuff um it was really great to go back um because i i guess i had seen the 2000 release um where they had spider crawl and and a bunch of other little weird details but like it got through the entire movie and i was like did i miss something like did I miss the spider crawl? Like, I thought she was qu- crawling on the ceiling and all this shit. Um, did I imagine that? Or was that from a different Exorcist movie? So I went to YouTube and checked it out. And they're like, oh, no, that was supposed to be in there. But, like, the director shot all this shit. And then the director of photography, you mentioned him. Like, he had just won an Academy Award. And, like, he had control and decided to cut, like, I think it was, like, 12 minutes off this movie and the spider walk scene was it and then like there was a monologue where the uh, fathers are on the stairs um taking a break uh from the first first point but uh man this movie just fucking when it gets kicks kicked in when we're when we're facing that demon like it doesn't let go for a second um holy shit uh, and not necessarily scary either, just like, fuck, Re- religion is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things of like, it's, uh, it's, well, both really, you know, like, again, going back to like, Memories of the Shining, I remember, you know, before I ever saw the full Shining, I saw the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode where they did the Shining, you know, like, pop culture takes these stories and like they live on through that sometimes so like you've seen so much of the exorcist regurgitated around uh that it probably doesn't have the weight it did back in 73 when it came out you know like i remember stories of like my mom being like you know that scared the fuck out of everybody and like my uncle like ran out of the theater screaming. He was so scared of this, you know. I love it because the but I uh, think it also the guy was talking about the shit that he cut and like when they released it in two thousand, like it really did well. He's like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like this movie's just gonna do well regardless of whatever cut comes out there because people just fucking love the shit out of it. And I was like, yeah, I can see why. That shit's fucking. It gets under your skin, and it's like. Ooh. I just don't want to deal with any of that ever. Because <laughs> my fucking kids yeah, it's definitely projectile vomiting shit across the room. It's like, well, your head's coming off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, it's one of those things of like, in terms of like, if it is actually scary, I think comes down to what you believe in, in terms of religion and stuff like, you know, like I am, pretty much a full-blown atheist so like demons and god like that stuff doesn't actually like affect me on that like cellular level like it does some people like you know some people just fear the thought of like satan Mm -hmm. that just terrifies them whereas i'm like well it's just a fucking hoovy dude with horns who cares (laughs) you know uh (laughs) but you know like it can get under your skin but i like it as a treatise of just the idea of you know faith and what do you believe in and you know, I love the that ending where as he's dying on the stairs, you know, he basically knows that 
his faith has been reaffirmed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as he's getting his last rights, he knows that what he did was right and that he's going to be rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also crazy behind the scenes shit for this movie too. Um, I know I've read somewhere that like, to get them to be able to see their breath, I think they like mounted four air conditioners and just had them pumping full blast just to get it so cold that they could see their breath in there. Um, crazy shit. And then the mom from Requiem a Dream. Um, so wild. Yeah, Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, so wild. Um, this movie's just but crazy, crazy nuts though. Um, but I do love the idea of like, it's so 70s that like when the cop comes and he's meeting the priest for the first time he's like ah yeah they told me you look like a boxer you really do i was like that's a fucking pudgy out of shape man <laughs> Does not look like a boxer. listen everybody looked like a boxer in the 70s um yeah so good uh the crucifix shit like the vomiting like my god just crazy shit um, I also yeah, I, mean, I also like, forgot that we hung in like the uh, ruins for like the first t- twenty minutes or so, and like he finds that statue and whatnot, and like it was like, and then we don't come back to him until he's like called on like the last half hour or so, and it's like, man, this this uh, this movie goes a lots of places, and like it keeps you intact for the whole thing. Yeah, it really does. And it's just really, I mean, it has that super 70s aesthetic, mm-hmm. but like, it's so well done. Plus, like, even by today's standards, some of that shit's like, sort of transgressive. Like, when she's literally like, masturbating with the crucifix and screaming like, fuck me, Jesus, <laughs> and like, shoves her mother's face in it and stuff, you're like, I don't think you get away with that today. Oh, the shit she does with the tongue, I don't think you'd get away with half of the movies. Like, just like they're right, reading the the rights, and like she's just like looking at the one father, just tongue out, just oh, I was like, Jesus, everybody was calling down a little bit. Um, but yeah, really fucking great movie. If you haven't seen the Exorcist, highly recommend it for this Halloween season for sure. Yeah, it's still it holds up really well. Yeah, for sure it does. Um. So jumping from there, uh, let's talk about the most controversial one because Luke definitely loved this one. Uh, Walking Phoenix's Joker is out now. Uh, did you really enjoy it? You know me so well, apparently. <laughs> no, it's it's so bad. I I hated it. All right. Whew. Uh No, I'm on the same page. Like I understand people's criticisms of it. Um, I left the movie theater just hating, hating myself and hating that movie. Um, I believe like my first text to my buddy when I walked out was just like, I feel so much fucking dumber now after <laughs> sitting through that for two hours. But like, I can totally, oh man, I just seeing all the notices is like, listen, if you are just an asshole and looking to to fucking be a prick to the world, just don't see this movie. Um, and I think that's very, very reminiscent of the time we're in right now. But like, I, well, cause like <laughs> as 
so it really like helps that we had recently watched it but uh one nothing about the film is like it's nothing if not derivative of other things that are better mm-hmm. uh namely a lot of scorsese uh you know it definitely you know there's there's a reason everyone's fucking shitting on scorsese because he's like comic book movies aren't cinema fuck those because they're asking him about that because this movie fucking stole everything it has from Scorsese. Yeah. Like it is nothing more than them trying to live out a 70s Scorsese movie with uh definite uh ties to uh King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. But also, since we just recently watched it, this is so indebted to Fight Club. Yeah. Like, but in the bad ways. This is <laughs> Yeah. Remember how we were talking about how uh, a lot of people missed the point of Fight Club and it was like satirical and they didn't get it? This is like those people made this movie. They're like, yeah, Fight Club is really cool. Oh my god, yeah, that's that's it, one thousand percent. Oh wow, that's probably why I really hate this movie. Um, because like. This is so much about that, you know, it works in like the opposite, you know, direction. Fight Club is about this guy who's so, uh, he he's broken and split from everything. And as you get towards the end, he realizes it, kills his false persona and gets back into the world of reality as best he can. Whereas this movie is just like, Reality fucking sucks. Let's break because the all three goes the best. And oh yeah, violence <laughs> and mayhem. That's what all white guys need. It's just so. In uh, like any point of <laughs> like so, here's how all across the board terrible this movie is because it can't <laughs> fucking pick anything it wants to do. So what I love about uh the Joker in general, but we can take it back to just last week and talk about Ledger's interpretation in Dark Knight is that like, you don't need a definitive origin. Like I don't need to understand how the Joker became the Joker. Mm -hmm. Like every time he tells these maudlin sob stories about his wife getting in deep with the sharks, we cuts himself to make her happy or the daddy who's beaten his mother and then abuses him to make him seem that way are all just lies he tells to fuck with people. Mm-hmm. It's just about him just literally messing with yeah. everybody. But this movie literally like all those stories are true. That's what happened. Look at how <laughs> sad his fucking emo life was. Like at no one particular point, could you not make the case that he, it, it was almost like the way he was raised, uh, his familial life, his mother was crazy. Did it come down to him even though he was adopted? Uh, he was abused physically and mentally as a child. Uh, the, the healthcare system fucking sucks and it failed him. So now we have the rest of this. Oh, guess what else he has? Easy access to guns. Like, make up your fucking mind. <laughs> Don't give me 17 million fucking reasons for why this person's like this. Yeah. Uh, did you ever read White Knight? No. Okay, so like they briefly mentioned that he was a failed comedian, whatever. And, like, people have uh, been hanging on that and, like, comparing this to to White Knight and whatnot. And it's like, I... Well, the 
the failed comedian things from Alan Moore's Killing yeah, Joke. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Which again, even even in that, Joker tells the story and then he goes, or it could not be. He's like, I prefer my choice to be multi or I enjoy it. I prefer my past to be multiple choice. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Again, it's just him like being able to fuck with people. Yeah. Um but also uh have you checked out the Harleen? Uh, the first book no. from Stephen Septic kind of gives the reversal, but like it shows Joker with all of these lies, um, and like that's what I appreciate about that book so much. Um, you see Harleen's uh, descent into this terrible, awful relationship she has with them, um, but like this movie does its best to avoid what works so best about Joker. And like it's just disappointing in the most abundant of ways. Plus, like I don't like <clears throat> I don't even know. Outside of I would normally say no storyteller would say that, but I think these guys are fucking idiots, so maybe they would. Um I would say you normally wouldn't say that like maybe it was all fake and he thought it all up, but why would he do that? And you also have the twist of him dreaming up his girlfriend's relationship. Why would there be a false memory inside a false memory? But I think they're stupid enough to do that. Because, <laughs> like, none of this movie, you couldn't tell me, is not all taking place in his head. That he's not in the asylum the entire movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else is there that I hate a lot? Um, <laughs> let's get to the fact. All I wanted to do. All that... I wanted to do was uh, text you like the little gif of Rico from Hot Rod just holding the TV. It's like, yeah, it's really terrible if people are taking advantage of a situation like this. I don't know who would do something like that. Like that's all I thought about leaving the movie. I was like, son of a bitch. Because <laughs> like. Well, like, listen, okay? Like, I don't need something that is almost ethereal in the way that it is tangentially related to Batman to have to fucking show me the goddamn Waynes getting killed again. I don't fucking need it. Oh, my like, God. They started walking down the alleyway. I was like, there you go, Luke. You got it. One more fucking time. And I love that the pearls are breaking everywhere. It's like, that's not how a pearl necklace works. Out of everybody... that doesn't matter. I know it doesn't matter. But, like, that just sticks in my head from the fucking last time they did it. What, two years ago? It's just a ridiculous juxtaposition to keep fucking hunkering on, so... But it's just like, that. that would... Honestly, honestly, it would be the same... As if at the end of Tom Hardy's Venom, Uncle Ben died. <laughs> it makes no fucking narrative sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. There are a few movies that I'm just like keeping an eye on my friends for. Like, maybe we shouldn't be as, as good friends as we are. And it's like this, Rambo, and the fucking second... 47 meters down, like, came out, like, a couple months back. And, like, those people that really enjoy these movies, like, hmm, I'm keeping my eye on you. Because I don't trust you as a person <laughs> like, anymore. 
Have you um ha- had you been following any of like the shitty press that the Joaquin and Todd Phillips have been on for like the week before it came out? Uh, the only thing I saw was uh, Joaquin got asked like, "What if people just use this as a manifesto?" And he's like, "Shit." Maybe I fucked up making this movie and then, like, walked off from an interview. Like, that's all I saw. You didn't see the thing where, like, Todd Phillips is like, I stopped making comedies and made this movie because woke, uh, cancel culture and people are so woke now that you can't do comedy anymore. <laughs> and uh, most of the people just fucking slapped him down, including fucking Taika Waititi, who was just like, I play Hitler in my new yep. movie. Like, comedy's fucking fine. Uh but you get to that point where he's on De Niro's show and he tells that, like, the knock-knock joke and he's just like, knock-knock, who's there? The policeman opened up, your son got hit by a drug driver and dead. And they're like, you can't tell that kind of joke. He's like, who are you to tell me what's funny? Huh? What makes you morally right to decide what people could laugh at? And I was like, that's why you made this movie, isn't it? People were tired of your, your fucking, your dumb boner jokes in the uh, fucking Hangover movie. So you're like, I'm going to talk, talk about how aggrieved the white man is and how we need to fucking be sympathetic to his plight or he'll kill people and we'll all rise up. It's terrible. I hate everything about it. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just about to ask what what other movies he had done and like that makes so much sense because he drove all of those jokes from the first Hangover into three movies. Like he's just like let's just copy and paste because it seemed to work so it's got to work a second and third time. So. Oh man, it's just like uh, it's just like I said, it's just a big mess, and it has nothing to say. It I, I, it just it touches these bases. It's like, hey, we're talking about how rich people have it better than the good people or the poor people, and you're like, cool, maybe that's a, a statement you could have latched onto and made, but you essentially turned what could be one of the most like important things that we have at our power these days is, you know, peaceful demonstrations and what we can do. And you literally turned all that into they're all violent people who beat cops and worship this guy who's murdering people. Like you make the protesters who are uh, talking about inequality into uh, ostensibly bad guys. It's not a good, like, like I'm all for eat the rich in terms of story and in real life, but like you're fucking that part up even. So yeah, yeah. it's just just a big a big heavy side the whole way around. So. Plus, like, oh my god, the idea that like he's I have a mental condition and it makes me laugh uncontrollably in awkward situations. You're like, really? Well, fuck you. What are you. What are we even doing here? I hate that so much. And like, <laughs> I hate so it's, much about it's, everything. It's too bad because his maniacal laugh works well until he reveals that it's a condition and he can't control well, it. Well, like, <laughs> the, one, the one that I like is that because uh, there are multiple laughs because whatever. Uh, I like... Uh, the fake laugh, the one he actually tries, mm-hmm. you know, like the real high pitch, uh, like when he's at the comedy club yep. and he's laughing a few beats off from everybody, it's him trying to be like, yeah, I get the joke, but he obviously doesn't. It's him trying because mm-hmm. he doesn't quite understand normal society. Yeah. Like 
that one is high pitch and it's weird and it's kind of unsettling. But for the most part, like Joaquin's okay in it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like I I still think they should have just taken him straight off of you were never really here. Yeah, just yeah. Giant slab of meat with the fucking beard. <laughs> it's very similar uh, characters and like Joaquin nails it, but the but the like, picture itself doesn't shit, have anything to say. There's stuff that I'm just like, what do we like? Um, when he finally goes like full Joker and he's out on the show, it, he just puts on this weird like, I, it almost feels like um, like an '80s caricature of like a gay man's voice. You know, he's just like, oh come on now, Murray. Yeah, I'm like, what? What are we? What is even happening here? Yeah. And again, like once you get down to that point, it's literally about a man. Like they try their best to try and be like, he was antagonized and he was pushed to this point. Like that doesn't make it good. Sure. Shit. People are shitty. That doesn't mean he can be shitty back. Yeah. Uh, but you get to that point of like, he reaches this crescendo at the end of like, I, you know, you just want to make fun of me, but I deserve to be on the show. These are the things that, you know, I was promised in life. My mother said I was here to spread joy and make people laugh. And you're not letting me do that. This is what I want. And you are stopping me. And when De Niro calls him on that bullshit, as most of us should in those situations, he immediately turns it into, you know, this screening manifesto of like society's ills. And I'm just a mentally unwell loner and you wouldn't leave me be. And you push me to this. It's like, no, like, those aren't acceptable facts and the movie expects us to take it that way. It wants us to be sympathetic with him. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. (laughs) I would avoid it even though it seems like it's going to be a blockbuster and they're probably going to think about making a second one because it's doing so goddamn well. Well, I mean, at this point, like it was a $50 million budget movie and it made 93 million this weekend. (laughs) That was just domestic, wasn't it? I think it made like 150 uh, out of states. Probably. I mean, I think it probably had, you know, a very large production or uh, marketing budget behind it. So, I mean, oh, but it's going to come. Yeah, but it, in the it green. hasn't even opened in China yet either. So, it, it'll be in the green. Um, fucking. And Joaquin's already said something about how he's just like, well, if Todd wanted to do something, we could. I'd come back to this. I didn't think it'd be that much fun. And it's just like, ah, Jesus, no. Unless you give me, like, fucking early, because this is supposed to be, like, early, early. I want to feel like it's, like, 80, 81 is when this movie's supposed (laughs) to take place. So unless you jump ahead, like, 10 years, 12 years, and we're talking, like, it's grunge-era Batman and fucking just grimy fighting against this Joker. Maybe, but... But even then, that that put the Joker at what fifty, and Batman would be like what twenty. Well, it depends on what we're talking about because uh, one, <laughs> there's that line in the movie where uh, he's like, "Mom, why are you writing Thomas Wayne all the time?" And she's like, "I used to work with him, and he always said our workers are like family, and he'll take care of us." And uh, he's like, "That was thirty years ago, Mom." And then he's like, "Bruce." Thomas Wayne's my father? And you're like, bitch, Joaquin, you were 
45. You don't look a day <laughs> under 45 either. You're not playing a 30-year-old in this. Uh, yeah, that's something. Uh, so then what do we got next week? I honestly forgot. I know there's something <laughs> theatrically, but... What we got for spooks? Uh, for spooks, we got uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare and Scream. Ooh. New Nightmare, is that Freddy? It is. Fuck. That's definitely not what I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to seeing Scream again, though. Um, I think I've only seen it one, once or twice, so... It'll be good to check in on that. Um, we got bad, best and worst. Uh, we Godfather do. Two. Godfather Part 2, and we have uh, Manos, the hands of fate for the worst. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Sounds uh, incredible. And then we have uh, uh, El Camino. El Camino. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what's in theaters this week. I can't. There's something. Yeah. I can't fucking I can't fucking remember for the life of me. Oh, uh the Adams family. Mm, you really want to see Adams family? Mm, I think Hannah does. Shit. I really Which thought... I'm fine if if you don't want to. Um Yeah, I'm kinda on the fence for it. But uh I know there's another one, isn't there? No. No, there is. There was like three movies, but I just don't fucking remember anything. <laughs> so we'll watch all that shit, and we'll come back and talk about it next week for sure. Uh, really looking forward to El Camino, though. So, uh, that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's it for this week. Avoid Joker at all costs. Um, peace, pineapple, all that good stuff. Later. Yeah, magnets, bitch.